This is Jim Coburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group. We're here with a special edition of our Energy Markets podcast. You can learn more about us at commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcast and blog. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for any trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. So today is April 1st, and we have a very special guest. It's his second time on the podcast, Andy Furman. Andy, for the last 12 years, has been a risk management consultant at Risk Revenue, or called R-Squared. Risk Revenue, founded in 2001, is an independent commodity risk advisor that works with clients to build and maintain hedge programs, how appropriate for the, these markets. R-Squared patented analytics assist clients ranging from S&P EMPs to private equity to energy consumers. Located in Houston, you can find more uh, on Risk Revenue at riskrevenue.com. That's R-I-S-K-E-D revenue.com. And I'm going to switch it over to uh, Andy LeBeau to take it from here. Okay. Thank you very much, Jim. And uh, it's such a pleasure to have Andy Furman on our podcast today. I've known Andy uh, both personally and professionally for a, a long time. And he is really one of the best in the industry at giving hedge advice to uh, all, types of, uh, all types of the industry. But one of his main clients, of course, are, uh, are crude producers. And uh, what better time to talk about hedging, really, and uh, hedge advice than, uh, than where we are right now. Also. Andy has a book coming out, I think, this summer, which we will no doubt be uh, talking about during the, during the podcast. So, Andy, welcome. And uh, our first question uh, is, all right, the market has, the crude market has basically collapsed. The front month is trading at uh, $20 right now. What are you telling your crude producer customers right now? Oh, well, first off, uh, Jim and Andy, thanks for having us uh, on the podcast. You know, I'm actually a regular listener, so uh, I'm a, we're a real big fan of you guys. You guys do a great job of talking fundamentals and giving, uh, giving your listeners a lot of good information about what's going on in oil. In terms of your question, what are we telling our clients right now? Uh, you know, every client is different and, and, you know, each client has their own risk profile. They have their own asset profile. You know, they have got assets, for example, you know, where, where are their assets located? Are they, are their assets in the Gulf? Are, are their assets, let's say in the scoop stack? You know, it really, really depends. And, and they also have asset, you know, it's also, you know, another issue for them is credit capacity. So you have to look at each client individually and frame your answer for, for how you, you help them uh, regarding what their profile is. Uh, but specifically speaking, in terms of, let's say, an individual, let's say, calls up right now, you, you walk through, uh, you know, what is their objective, 
uh, in terms of what are they trying to accomplish right now in terms of mitigating their risk. And, uh, and then, you, you, you know, you want to try to dial into uh, what kind of, you know, minimums they're trying to defend in terms of, you know, trying to, you know, figure out what their minimum for success is. And then, and then from there, you try to build a plan. Uh, once you've once you've done that, you you also try to you know go into the tactical area in terms of you know like like the the first things I just mentioned before were more strategic. You've got you know tactical questions in terms of how you're going to go about doing the hedge. You know you know in terms of whether you're going to be uh, doing it all now or whether you're going to be layering it in pieces. What we try to advise our clients to do is make it a series of hedge decisions. Uh, that's one of the most important things that you can do, I think, right now. Is this is that, you know, clients right now in this kind of emotional environment, where where there's just so much tumult and and so much change, you know, in, in the last couple of weeks, uh, it, it's impossible for there not to be a little bit of emotion involved. And so you can remove the emotion by making it a series of hedge decisions that you can, for example, let's say you want to uh, hedge three units of crude. Well, you hedge one unit now. And then you, uh, you know, turn it into a, a decision tree for, you know, how are you going to go about hedging the next two? Uh, it's very, very important to have a decision tree because, uh, you know, many, many clients, for example, you know, on the sell side as a producer, they're going to be more comfortable uh, in terms of, oh, well, if the price rises, what are we going to do? Well, you also want to have a plan for what to do if prices go down. Even if there's no plan um, to, do, to do anything on the downside, that's a plan. At least you can articulate that, and then you can make better decisions that way. And you know, and you know, you'll be in control of, of what you're going to do. Andy, it's to me, it's kind of been in a situation before where the market's collapsing, and you get a phone call from somebody who's got like a producer, and they say, "Well, what do I do now?" And it's kind of you know, you're looking at the the house is on fire, and the guy wants to buy fire insurance today. And so, I mean, are you telling people, are you still putting hedges on at these levels for some, some clients? Or are you saying, you know, this is, you're, you're better off waiting? Or, or how does that, is, are you, it still depends on who you're talking to? Absolutely. It depends on who you're talking to. And the answer is really all of the above. We've got some clients that we're, that we're hedging for. We've got other clients who are considering removing hedges because, they're contemplating either uh, scaling back their capex or potentially shutting in or potentially both. So everything runs the gamut. You know, everything is on the table in terms of being discussed. And, and that's really where we have to go. That's why each client has a different answer. Well, I was just going to say, uh, we're looking at um, some of the pipeline companies telling their uh, producers to not to cut back on production. And so is, is I guess it is a situation that you're seeing where you're making money on the hedge, but the sort of the basis to the cash to the area where you're selling your crude is just falling apart. Is that happening already? Well, that could certainly be part of it. Uh, you know, I think it's worth talking to our, our listeners and mentioning that, uh, like earlier today, I was looking at the screen and uh, we had Midcush four and a half dollars into the screen. Uh, you know, uh, that's the uh, Midland basis. We had, uh, you know, that's in spot, uh, LLS minus 475, MEH minus 275. You know, those values were, were positive before, uh, you know, 
Russia and Saudi Arabia made their moves and also with, you know, coronavirus and the, uh, you know, stay in place, shelter in place. One question that, um, you know, talk, talking about, uh, you know, a decision tree and, and where to hedge, Andy, you know, the market is a big carrier, a contango, as we, as we call it in, uh, you know, in, in our market. And, you know, you look, at, you look out on the curve and, you, you know, Cal 20, uh, the balance of Cal 20 is like 29 and 21 is 35 and 22, 38 something, you know, on a swap basis. You know, are, are you advising clients to put their hedges, you know, in, in the backs, in the fronts, you know, in the mid, middle of the curve? And also, you know, what are you actually seeing them doing? Well, uh, I, I hope that your, uh, your listeners don't think that, oh, this is a dodge, but they're doing all of the above. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's really, you know, it's a whole mix because uh, let's just say for argument's sake, I have a client who is, is under hedged in 2020. They're going to get a different answer than a client who was well hedged in 2020. Right. Right. So. So, uh, well, let's just talk in, in some hypotheticals. Let's just say for argument's sake, I, I do have that client who's well hedged uh, in 2020. I would be telling them, hey, let's look at 2021 and see how you're doing there. And, and maybe we can add some hedges here because, you know, the fact that, that you've got uh, the term structure is such, you know, with, with a re really generous Katango, $6 is not a bad deal to be able to you know, hedge, let's say, at $35 when you've got spot at like, you know, $20, $21. You're getting, you're getting literally $14, $15 of lift off, right. of, off of where spot is. And we don't know how long this price war is going to last. We don't know how long coronavirus lasts. In other words, everyone, you know, can, can say, you know, in very, very simple terms, that coronavirus is going to, uh, you know, kind of fade out in the next couple of weeks and that, uh, you know, and, and everything's going to improve. But, you know, we're dealing with, with a lot of known unknowns. We don't know what it's going to look like, let's say, uh, this summer and this fall in terms of how, how the virus comes back, or even if it does really come back. And, and maybe, you know, you know, it's like all these types of variables, we could be lower for longer. And if we are lower for longer, then, then certainly hedging at $35 now, uh, I, I think will work. I think that's a good point, Andy. The um, this is a this is a double shock. It's not just a demand shock; it's a supply shock. So you could have the uh, stock market recover based on you know the virus, you know, getting behind us a little bit, but you still have the uh, the Saudi aggressive policy to deal with. So, so I think you're right. Just because one thing goes away doesn't mean we're moving into a more certain uh, price environment. Yeah, I, I don't think that anyone can really you know, predict with so many moving variables that, uh, that we are going to recover in price. And I certainly hope that we do for, for the sake of our producers. I, you know, I'd love for us to go back to $50, for, you know, for, you know, for them and, and for their economics. But that's why we have to dial into the risk. You know, one of the things that we do when I mentioned, you know, in terms of having a discussion with our clients, we look at the low case risk. And then we, you know, we determine, you know, you know, what are they going to look like at that price? And, and, you know, is there a way that we can hedge in order to bring that low case risk up?
Andy, were you on the on the floor during the Gulf War crisis? I was. So you you were in the options ring at the time, right? That is correct. I I was just going to ask you how difficult it is to get things off when you when you have somebody says, "Okay, let's do a hedge." How how is it with bid offer spreads and finding a market maker that'll take the other side? Well, uh, current conditions are, are certainly a lot tougher than they were, you know, just a month ago. You know, pre pre Saudi Arabia slash Russia and the price war, you know, you could get let's say, you know, diffs, you know, from, you know, from mid-market to bid on swaps, you could do, let's say, 15, 20 cents. And, and, now, and now you're seeing diffs, you know, of, of 30 cents or more. Mm. Uh, so, so it's, you know, it's more challenging. And then also because counterparties are, are literally having to work from their homes, you know, it takes longer because you've got uh, a trader in one home connecting with a marketer in another home. And so logistically, there's, there's all kinds of challenges. It takes longer to do the hedge. Uh, it, there, there may not be as much liquidity. And because the market's moving around so quickly, uh, you know, they have to basically you know, have a wider you know, mid to bid. Boy, I, I almost was thinking, bring back the floor, but then <laughs> this, this virus issue. You know. Didn't everybody get sick? Like, wasn't there like something called a floor virus? Like, the first two weeks you worked there, everybody got sick, and then... Oh, it was called floor disease. Floor disease, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it was yeah. called floor disease, and I had it. I got it. So we won't be bringing the floor back soon. Jim uh, Colbert, I think you caught that floor disease. I did. I set you down during, oh, boy, during I was crises. I was worthless, I think. I, I think they just, I was just adding support. Andy, I have to bring this up because um, it's just uh, mind-boggling to me, but we've seen uh, $1.50 puts trade in June and May and June. I, I put this stuff up on our blog, and um, somebody commented that they were part of a $5.150 put spread. The, the, I'm interested in the three-way strategy for uh, producers where you, you sell a call, and you go to buy the put, and it's too expensive, and you sell the put underneath, and I'm wondering... Uh, are you seeing those kinds of things go in this environment? Ah, three ways. Yes. Uh, okay. Are you, are you seeing? Are you seeing all strategies? I guess. <laughs> well, we we are seeing all of them. Uh, generally speaking, our shop does not um, does not push three ways, but at the same time, uh, it can make sense uh, um, with, with limited conditions, with, with limited amounts of the hedge book. And as a matter of fact, one of our clients actually used them successfully, and the reason why was they, they did more hedge volumes because they were able to do three ways. Mm. In other words, in that kind of a situation where, where you have a choice between hedging uh, a, 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 like X or hedging maybe one and a half times X and, and that extra you know, one third of your book is three ways, that's a situation which works and makes a lot of sense. Okay? Where it doesn't make sense is if your entire book is, is with three ways because then you lose your hedge program when the market drops. Right. You never expect it to go down below the one that you're short. And when it does, you're, you're right. out, of, out of luck. Yeah. So, so we're very, very mindful of that. We, we like to make sure that, that our clients at, at worst have balance and at best you know, try, to, uh, try to use other structures if they can. Sometimes they, you know, they want the extra premium from, from the sold side and that's okay. Right. Uh, just just within limits. Yeah, I I find that uh, or found that um, when our hedgers 
started uh, doubling up on the short call side and even sometimes tripling up, it was uh, a sign that the market had, uh, had bottomed and, turn and is about to turn around. I, I just thought that was a, not a good way to go. But if you're only hedging, you know, these are, these are people that were putting on large hedges. And if you're only putting on a tranche, I guess that makes sense where you could sell two, two calls to help finance, uh, you know, the purchase of the put. That sounds like almost like a little bit of an extendable. Yeah, yeah it was, you know, it's just, it, it's kind of a sign where, the, where you see, okay, market's getting a little crazy, but Andy LeBeau, what do you, what do you think of this? Uh, we had a, we had a EIA numbers today that showed a significant build in, in uh, stock levels. You want to just make a couple comments on what we're afraid that's going to happen with storage filling up is in well, fact it, it is it, it, we're, we're not only afraid of it but it is going to happen i mean the, the store we were up 13 million this week we're going to be continually up 5 10 15 million a week until storage fills i mean it, it's it's inevitable the record i think for crude stocks is is 537 million i think it's either 533 or 537 we we should get beyond that uh, pretty easily. The available storage in the U.S. is said to be 600 million for crude. And, uh, you know, I, I think that what's going to happen is we're going to test what the actual available storage is in, in the U.S. And, and globally, which is why, you know, we're seeing these humongous contangos. And uh, as Andy mentioned, you know, it, it, it's allowed... Uh, some of the producers to, to take advantage of, of that. But, you know, I, I think the contangos may widen. Today, there was profit taking in, in the front. So the front was up and the backs were getting, you know, got, getting whacked. Today's April 1st. Hmm. So I, I, think it's in, I think it's inevitable. It, it, it's hard. The, there's really no way out because demand is, is not going to recover until some of these uh, travel restrictions are, are lifted. So we're at least four, at least four weeks away from that. But um, I have a question. I, I have a guy who's right, whose book is about to come out. Uh, the guy who wrote the book on options, Jim Colburn. <laughs> and my question is, you know, you have volatility here of, of what is it, 120 percent? It's higher than that. Yeah, yeah, or higher than that. I'm just talking about maybe that's the second nearby or the third nearby. Well, I said. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Andy. Well, what do you do? You know, what do you do with <laughs> what do you do with that? I mean, how how do you approach the market with a with a volatility that high? And is it worth you know that is it worth buying puts? Uh, Andy, you mentioned three ways. Andy Furman, you mentioned three ways. You know, do you sell options here? I mean, it, it's it's very tough to deal with. So I'm interested. You know, I'm I'm, I'm anxious to hear what what you do have to say. Well, I can go first and I can say that, you know, there was one strategy that was put forth uh, by someone, I don't remember who it was, they were, they were thinking about, well, what would, what would you do if you had to buy, you know, some kind of an at-the-money, you know, floor, at-the-money put, and the price at the time was, I, I forget exactly what the tenor was, but the price was like seven and a half dollars. It was like, oh. there, it's like, there is no way. I think it must have been probably like some kind of a 21 structure. I, I don't remember exactly. But point is, is that when you start having to pay that kind of premium, well, there's just no way that you can, you know, 
that that's going to make a lot of sense, right? I mean, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, your strike price is, let's say, 35. You know, the, the fact that, that the, the meter starts at, at 2750, that's not a very, very good way to, to protect yourself. No. So, so what we try to do is uh, we would stay clear in, in a higher volatility situation like that. And, and we, would, we would advise, let's say, for example, using a costless collar. Uh, and, and I think costless collars can make a lot of sense here, especially in 21, where, where for example, let's say, you know, you got $35 and you can do something like, you know, 30 by 40. And that way you're funding the premium of, of the $30 floor with a $40 cap. And, and you don't have to lay out that kind of premium. I mean, that's just one way to kind of sidestep the, the issue of high volatility and make, you know, to make that work for you. Uh, what I will say, though, in terms of, of paying for options, is that this is one of the rare times where where actually buying options can make sense. And I'll tell you why, okay? If you believe, and I'm, I'm not saying that, that we're there yet, okay? But if you do believe that, the, you know, the sun is going to come out tomorrow and that prices are going to go back up, then, you know, you want to have a lot more upside participation. So if you're forced to hedge, if, you know, for example, you've got some kind of, uh, you know, issues with, uh, with your debt or, you know, like a debt covenant or, or what have you, where you need to make a, a hedge and, and you don't like the price, well, buying, you know, buying a couple of puts, buying some, some put protection on the downside will get you, you know, for just a, a fixed premium there, uh, you know, it'll, it'll satisfy covenants. And at the same time, it'll give you the upside, you know, participation that you want and need, you know, should prices, you know, go back up, for example, if, uh, you know, you know, the Russians can make some kind of, you know, uh, you know, headway on, on, you know, pulling back from their stance with the Saudis and the Saudis can make up as well and or, you know, something with coronavirus, a vaccine or what have you. So those are the kinds of, of, of you know, that would be one kind of, isolated example of where you would want to use a, a fixed premium put to, to protect yourself. It's not necessarily the first choice, but in a situation where you think that the market can, can turn, uh, you know, that, that, that that would present itself as a possibility. I think that was uh, one of the comments about looking at the premium. I mean, that's the kind of stuff when you're trying to protect yourself, you're you know, forget about volatility for a second, but eyeball the premium and look at the puts uh, strike that you're trading. And does that make sense? Because the, you know, when we talk about volatility, that's a, that's a standard deviation measure that we're using when we go through the, we, we, we uh, back it out of a model that's based on a normal distribution. And we know these aren't normal markets. So when, the, when you're really hedging and you, and you need a price on your barrel, like you're in the real world, you, you really you have to kind of eyeball the premium. Just, just like you said, Andy, I agree with that. I've always had a problem calling something a costless collar because that $40 call that you sell is giving the upside, but that's what people call it. So I'll let that, I'll let that go. But that's, I think those are great, um, great comments that you just made. Let me just uh, uh, add a little bit uh, to this because I don't know if your listeners are actually going to, you know, be familiar with this kind of concept. Is this is that most of the time, you know, someone wants to buy a put because they want to get the leverage, right? 
In other words, if you're a speculator, you're buying a $10 put or a $20 put because you want to see the market crash through that strike price and, and get like literally multiples of return. For someone who holds an asset like oil, for a producer that holds an asset, it's completely the opposite. No, they're not using leverage. So the reason for buying a put is because you have to buy the, you have to get the, the hedge and because you want the upside. So that, for example, let's say you have a market which is trading at $25. You want to buy the $20 floor and hope the market just goes the complete opposite direction. Right. In other words, the fact that you've got $5 between where the market is and, and where your price, where the, the option is struck, that $5, that's, that's a long ways away for you to start getting protection. So you're, you're basically trying to, to get that protection there just as a disaster, essentially, in case, in case the market you know, were to have you know, pricing on, on that marginal barrel and you were to see prices go down to, let's say, $10. Or, or dare I say, even lower. So I, I think that you know, if you, if you understand from the concept of, of the fact that you have an asset and that you're not leveraged, that that's the reason why you would do that kind of a strategy. You turn, yeah. you, you turn a long, uh, an asset that's priced, that, that makes money when you go up. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, turning a futures into a synthetic call by buying the put. A right? deep in the money call. Yeah, deep in the money call, exactly. All right, let's talk a little bit about price direction. Do you, do either one of you think it's possible for an asset to go to zero or for, for a commodity to go to zero? Is it possible that we could see WTI go, the WTI futures go to, go to zero? I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the thing that I'm, the scenario I, I see, we saw a whole bunch of uh, investment go into that U.S. oil contract, and these folks are uh, speculators, and they have to roll. I don't know what is it the fifth and between the fifth and tenth business day of the month. I think they st still have those rules. And imagine if the storage fills up, and they go to sell. You know, I don't know thousands of contracts, maybe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And the buyer, which might be someone who takes advantage of all those sales and is going to take delivery, uh, is not there. So, yeah, I could, I could see it uh, getting uh, very panicky and, and the market going down to zero. Well, I'll, I'll throw in one other thing, which is that we have seen commodities trade negative. Uh, yes. as, one, as one example, you know, just recently we saw Waha Gas go negative, which is the basis, you know, out in West Texas. So it really depends upon whether the, uh, the asset is stranded or not. And, you know, we, we've got the most unique situation that I've ever seen in my career. I'm sure that you guys could probably, you know, uh, chime in and, and say, uh, you know, and corroborate that or not, you know, to have a price war at the same time as a demand collapse is, is unprecedented. I've never seen it. I've seen a price war. I've seen a demand collapse. To have a price war at the same time as a demand collapse is just the kind of stuff that that's that's the kind of recipe that that could actually get you to zero. I agree. I mean, it's we we finally have taken out the volatility highs of the Gulf War. That was always kind of the Gulf War one. You know, back in the early '90s, we saw volatility trade up to like 135, and now 
front months at 188, the second months at 153. That, that was March 20th. That's, that's the high now. So I think the market is basically agreeing with you and say, hey, we've never seen this before. And like I said, the, the $5, 150 put spreads have traded in May, in, in June. So, you know, this is people expecting the possibility that something, uh, this continues. You know, we're, and we're also seeing some physical crudes in the single digits. I mean, you look at uh, the Canadian crude and West WCS is trading single digits. Permian is not single digits, but low teens. And uh, I, I think there has been a, uh, a crude that, that traded close, you know, at least, at least five or six dollars. So uh, a U.S. crude. So is you know, I don't think, I'm not sure that the, the futures will go to zero, but uh, it's certainly so, some of these physical crudes may, may end up going negative. So, you know, we look at the front and, and vis-a-vis this, this discussion, you know, and you say, oh, it's, it's you know, $20. Uh, that's a horrendous price, you know. I guess everything's relative, right? Yeah. I mean, this zero price is a scenario that, I mean, Andy, I've been doing podcasts with you a long time. And, and one of the things that I take away is that, you, you, you know, we, we both agree on this is anything is possible. And in, in this market, I mean, this is like, like Andy Furman just said, we've never seen anything like this before. So yeah, everything's, you know, everything's possible here. So. Well, I, I think, I think what I just like to, you know, point out is, is that uh, under normal circumstances, if you see a demand collapse, what is your response as a, as a producer? Uh, the, the answer is, of course, uh, to pull back, right? right. In other words, that, that, uh, that lower prices would, uh, would make the supplier you know, sell less. And, and so to have the Saudis, for example, you know, trying to you know, ram these barrels um, down the market's throat in this kind of environment, it's just, you know, frankly, it's insane. Yeah, and the economy is not benefiting from the lower energy prices because there's no economy right now. Like I'm not, I haven't driven my car in a couple of days, so right. You know, we're, not, we're not we're we're not getting the demand response that these lower prices would uh, yeah. would usually would usually bring. Yeah, um, and that you know it's going to take it's going to take a long time, I think, for the for uh, prices prices to recover. You know, the, the many, many months, probably many, many months. All right, I want to put you on the spot here, uh, Andy. Uh, can you tell us when do you think that uh, that WTI up in Cushing? When would that fill? That will probably fill. I would say by mid to late May. That will be at uh, that will be at tank tops. You know, late latest early June. And, you know, which is what we're seeing again in the, in the front with the, with the super contangos and the, the cash market at one point traded minus 650. So it's uh, clearly on the way to, uh, to filling up. Crude runs, of course, are going to be cut in, uh, in pad two. And with Cushing, you know, showing a, a premium to almost every, every physical crude, as you described, Andy, you know, every barrel that can get into Cushing and with the premiums, if you have storage, you know, every barrel that can get into Cushing will get into Cushing 
And um, as a result, you know, it looks, uh, what we have is, is second or fourth week in May. I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be full. That's, that's really interesting because we have um, May, June, minus 650 puts. There's like 5,000 open interest on those. And June, July, another 5,000 open interest, minus 650 puts. That I, I made a point in our blog of when the minus $4 puts traded, and now we're seeing these uh, minus six, 650. But you're saying that's where April, April, May went out? No, that's where the phys- that's where the, the physical the cash roll, the yeah, yeah. cash so, roll is traded. Uh, it traded six fifty under. Right. So if that's already six, happened, May June is not minus six fifty puts. Not that not that crazy. Not, not that, that crazy. Fu- no. All right. I want to talk about um, your book coming out, Andy. Can can you tell us a little? Tell us about what the title of the book is and what you know. What, end? What's the book about? Yeah, yeah. What the plot is. You know, we're, we're always anxious to see how things end, right? Yeah. Well, uh, the title of the book is called Risk is an Asset. And, and what it's about is just basically, you know, if you're a consumer or a producer or in your midstream, you, you have to accept risk. Risk is a part of your business. And if you've got a, a positive, you know, outcome, a positive expected value from, from you know, running your business, you know, that's good. And you want, you want more of that, which means that you have to accept a certain amount of risk in, in, in terms of getting that positive outcome. And so what our book does is it, it goes through a lot. We discuss a lot about risk-driven hedging, uh, which is, you know, by using a process. Uh, process risk management means that, you know, we're going to uh, have essentially risk management discipline where we define a minimum low-case risk for you know whether you're an upstream or a midstream or or downstream you know client and and that you're going to take a look at that risk case and defend that risk case so you know it's it's a really really good opportunity um, and especially considering what's going on in today's market to to show how you can always defend a uh, a risk case you can't defend the current prices unless you've had a 100% hedge program uh, from one day to the next. In other words, that you just were able to lock up every single barrel uh, from, let's say, you know, Tuesday to Wednesday. Uh, in, in practice, that never happens. Uh, in practice, we've, we've rarely, rarely ever seen someone come in and, and just go from, let's say, having a 0% hedge program to having a 100% hedge program. It, it, it typically is it's just it's not going to go that way. So if, if that's the case and you've got a base case, what you want to do is you want to have a, a, a structure, a process for being able to manage that low case. And, and that low case for one client could be different than for another. It's really what you know, uh, their minimum measure is for success. And, and so uh, if, if I was, for example, uh, you know, a consumer of of crude oil at let's say $50 and I wanted to make sure that um, that my cost didn't go over $70 uh, then, then what we would do is we put that in budgetary terms you know let's say for example that, that $70 was, was my bogey and and we would manage to that case so that we, we were able to use the process to make sure that you're getting 
all the hedges that you need and, and nothing more. Uh, because, you know, we want to, let's say, have that risk, but we don't want to have too much risk. And so we're able to use that process to be able to define what that risk case is and make sure that that's being properly managed. For the example of a producer, in this case, if a producer is using this process risk management, they would be able to look at their budget and they'd be able to see, oh, okay, you know what? We have a certain amount of, uh, of debt to EBITDA that, that's going to define our success. And then we can dial in from, from debt to EBITDA to, um, to how, many, how many barrels that they need to have hedged. And in this case, so what it does is it removes uh, the percent hedge, and, and, and now you're focused on, on, on budgetary performance instead. So that's really what we're doing in the book. It may sound a little bit dry, uh, but it really works. It works fantastically well because you're, you're making sure that you're meeting your budgetary numbers. So presumably some of your producers have been following this way before the book's coming out. And so they were probably in relatively decent shape going through this crisis because they have. Uh, uh, our clients typically and generally speaking, um, by just by the mere fact that they hire a hedge advisor, they, they, they typically are more hedged for starters. Right. So, so what they'll do is they'll have, they'll have more aggressive hedge programs. And, and yes, they are uh, in, in much, much better shape than, than, than the, the, you know, the other clients that are out there. Uh, or I say the other, you know, producers that are out there that are not clients, generally speaking, because those clients are, are less hedged and they have more difficulty. Hmm. Well, risk revenue does a, does a great job. I, I do know, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of uh, or some of their presentations and uh, Andy, you guys just do a, do a terrific job. I know this, this is probably the most challenging time of your your entire career but uh, i'm sure that, that you're giving or just uh, just listening to the advice you've given uh, our listeners you know I'm, I'm sure you're giving your clients uh unbelievable advice uh, i will put another plug in for risk revenue because that you and i andy i know you don't you may not remember this but earlier in the year uh or late last year you know you, you were saying oh you know if the market ever gets to 55 you should really just you know, hedge as much as you possibly can. And uh, that, that was, obviously, that was an awesome call. Well, th thank you very much, Andy. Uh, uh, you know, on the other side of those risk-driven hedges that we talk about a lot, we, we really focus a lot of the book on, on risk-driven hedges. You know, the other side of it is the market-driven hedges. And market-driven hedges are, are more opportunistic in terms of uh, more of a subjective call, um, you know, you know you're, you're trying to, you know, weigh a lot of, you know, factors in terms of, you know, the fact that you can go on offense and, and say, hey, look, we're, we're getting a good price here. Maybe we've got a little bit of a geopolitical event. Uh, fairly consistently, we've been advocating uh, for a long while now, hedges over $53. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, late last year, when, when hedges were up at $58, you know, and let's say, you know, Cal 20, we were just saying just hedge at current prices. In other words, it wasn't even like we had like a minimum target there because 53 was in the bag, you know, just, just hedge it at current prices. 
we like the price. And I think, you know, 2020 hindsight is very, very clear now that, you know, in December when the Saudis did their IPO, that that was pretty much about it. But we didn't know that at the time. I mean, everyone was kind of talking about it. And then, then the market kept on going higher in the next month. But at the same time, you know, we kind of, you know, we definitely, we stuck to our guns and we kept on, you know, advising our clients to use that good price to hedge. And, and the ones that did were, are in very, very good shape. Uh, a, a lot of our clients, many, many of our clients use that opportunity to, to put on really, really good hedges for, for Cal 20. And now, and now some of them are looking at Cal 21. And we also know, Jim and Andy, our clients don't always listen to all, to all our advice as much as we may beseech them, you know, to, to do something. But uh, it's, it's great that, uh, you know, you, you, you got a, a lot of your head, uh, you know, you got your clients to, to hedge aggressively. Well, I'll, I'll market, give it a... Yeah. When the market, yeah, there were actually, there were a couple of spikes, I mean, with, or, you know, in the fourth quarter when, the Saudi facilities were were bombed by the Iranians, and the market spiked. And uh, you know, when Soleimani was killed, was that early? Was that only? Was that in January? Soleimani <laughs> was January. Yeah, boy, it seems like it was about five years ago. Hmm. Uh, Andy LeBeau, this question is for you. Are you happy you're not on a desk right now? Yeah, I guess I am happy I'm not on a desk <laughs> right now, doing doing more advisory work. Very good. What uh, anything else, uh, Andy Furman? You want to add to this uh, discussion, Andy LeBeau? What else? What are we missing here? Well, I just just to sum up the fact that you know process risk management is is just an organized way to uh, enable clients to take control of their risk and 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 do it consistently and and make sure that they are able to reach their their budgetary objectives. It's a really uh, good process that keep you out of trouble. And, uh, and you know what the next battle is, gentlemen? The next battle is going to be for the consumer. Right. When they come back. When they come back. Very good. They will come back. Okay, Andy, guys. Very good, guys. Should we wrap it up? We're good? Yeah, let, let, let's wrap it up. Andy, we want to thank you for joining us. And again, uh, your you can find more about, uh, about you and, and the company on riskrevenue.com. And when, it, when is the book coming out, Andy? Uh, probably July. Okay. And, and you'll be able to find that on uh, Amazon and Oh, yeah. Barnes it'll, and it'll, it'll, it'll be on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, Forbes actually was the one who came to us about writing the book. So it's a Forbes book, and it'll be on uh, Amazon. Beautiful. I love, the, I love the title. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And you can find us on commodityresearchgroup.com. My um, email is alebeau at commodityresearchgroup.com. And we should, in about a couple of weeks, Jim and I will be back uh, to be doing our uh, usual monthly report. And uh, I'm sure two weeks from now we'll have uh, – Plenty to, plenty to talk about, Jim. Of course. Okay, thanks, Andes. Thank you very much for having us. Okay, thank you.